Hello, Jason here. Before I start the podcast, I would just like to share some news. The Brock Architect podcast is now raising money for the Architects Benevolence Society. And I have set a target of £1,500 by December the 15th, 2023. Please consider donating as you never know when you yourself would need help. Links in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. I have a question for you. Are you an architect and are you broke? If the answer is yes, it's what I've suspected for many years, as I am indeed an architect myself. This podcast is about debt in the profession of architecture, and I want to hear from you. Are you just surviving month to month with no extra money for savings? Or are you seriously broken in debt and stress and worry about your income? Or does your wife, husband or significant other earn substantially more than you, which gives you a great life, given the ability to choose your clients, when you work and who for? Or have you attained financial freedom in architecture? If you're in the first two categories, surviving month to month or facing financial difficulties, how is this affecting your mental health? Are you suffering from depression or even despair? Please share, subscribe and comment to support the channel. I have with me today Samia Christo, who is an architect and professor and was born in Albania. Dr. Samia lives and works in Tirana and is the Deputy Dean, Faculty of Applied Sciences and Creative Industries at Bartleti University and is involved in many architecture events in the city and has also run an architecture practice. Now, firstly, welcome to the first series of the Brock Architect podcast. And I just want to ask, how are you today? Uh, I'm fine. I'm good to, to see you and to talk with you. And uh, glad to be on the Broke Architect podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you can just tell me a little bit more about your background in Albania and why you left for Greece in, I believe, 1988, and then why you returned alone to study architecture? Uh, early 90s, actually. Ah, okay. My family left uh, <clears throat> Albania in the early 90s, uh, as soon as the system was opened from uh, um, a former authoritarian regime, dictatorship, I would say, rather than a communist uh, system, as, my, as many might claim. Uh, but of course, the, I mean, the answer is simple. They, they, they were looking for a better uh, place to, to live, but also raise their children. I mean, uh, the, the dream of every Albanian at the moment, in 1990s, uh, when the uh, system got opened, was to leave the country. Uh, some of them wanted to leave their city when they were leaving. Uh, and that's because no either inner immigration or immigration abroad was allowed. So if you were in 1970s in Albania, uh, and this is for the 99.9% of population, if you were born in Tirana, the capital, if you were born in a major city which had uh, a culture, administration, uh, of course this was censored, but still 
you would you would have them. Um, you you were lucky to 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 get born there or and live there. But uh, if you were born in a, in a in a village or a rural area or in the mountains or in a distant uh, place from the urban centers, uh, I mean, imagine what kind of life you would have in a sensor system, uh, having the same ruler for 45 years almost. So in 1990s, uh, what was for the world in 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, right. uh, was the moment that uh, Albanians threw out uh, the statue of the dictator uh, in Skanderburg Square as a moment of protest and as a moment to claim back their country somehow. And from that moment, <clears throat> many Albanians left of the period, uh, migrating to Italy, France, Germany, all over the world, but of course Greece also. That's the place my parents uh, chose to uh, go. Not by a, a, an absolute choice, let's say, but a coincidence helped them to, to go there as also a neighboring country, which I must say welcomed many Albanians at the time. Just like to um, continue that is um, after the Second World War, you know, and the fall of fascism, Albania was the only Italian colony in Europe. And the country then fell under the influence of communist regime, which I think you've touched on. It's dictator Enver. Hoxha, who would oppress the country, yeah, yeah, he would he would oppress the country for more than forty five years. So, isolating Albania from the outside world, essentially. Now, how did this isolation influence the architecture at that time, and were many historic buildings destroyed? Well, um, you know, uh, the nineteen forty five, the moment that the Second World War ended was a very interesting moment for many developments. Uh, and I must say that we were not really freed from fascism, or let's say we were not really uh, occupied by fascists, in my perspective, mm. because in the uh, mid of 1940s, uh, 1935, 1937, uh, we had a king at the time, uh, which was uh, a self-declared king. He was former uh, ambassador uh, of Albania abroad. He was former foreign minister. He was a former, a former prime minister. And in all his um, uh, foreign visits and uh, receptions abroad, he was saying, I'm the king of the country with one million kings. Some, something to understand about Albanians. <laughs> so um, he somehow understood that when he took over the country, uh, the country, country's economy was in default, so he was asking for some help somehow to, you know, uh, bring to life a kingdom which was, that was that was not really powerful enough to to rule the country economically. So um, it was some kind of a, kind of an invitation for the fascists to come to Albania, and of course they had another vision to, you know, project the power of fascism in a in a in a country geographically in Europe because they also had other colonies in Africa, mm. uh, and they did so. They, they, in 1935, uh, the capital of uh, Albania, Tirana at the time, let's not forget Tirana became the capital only 1920, 10, 10 years almost after the uh, declaration of independence, 1912. So um, Tirana in 1935, let's say, uh, maybe had not more than 25,000 inhabitants. So it was a small village of an Ottoman origin of Oriental um, development 
And uh, a city that came uh, uh, like into life as a spontaneous city in early uh, beginning of the 17th century, and in only in 300 years it grew up only by 25,000 inhabitants. Tiana was a crossroads for caravans to come from the uh, Adriatic Sea or inner Albania and connect uh, the trade, uh, uh, the the, good, uh, the trade of the goods and the trade of um, uh, artifacts uh, with uh, um, the, the 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 empire, the, the Ottoman Empire. Let's not forget that. Mm. So, uh, as a village, <coughs> the fascists saw Tirana as a moment and, uh, and an opportunity to project the power of fascism in a in a foreign country. They also brought many Italian architects. Uh, involved in uh, in um, projects uh, in Italian colonies and they developed plans for many Albanian cities. Uh, Tirana, of course, uh, which is, let's say, the, the, the crown jewel of that development. They brought uh, uh, plans to develop not only uh, the city in terms of urban planning, but also architecture. So from the development of the main boulevard in the center of the city that goes from <coughs> north to south uh, and uh, Having the river, the, the small Lana Creek uh, crossing it, they somehow recreated this this Roman uh, grid system of Cardum and Decumanum. So they they were very smart to read the territory and to uh, place this new grid, this ortho, orthogonal grid, which was in very much contrast with the uh, at the moment organic development, you know, of the labyrinth streets, of the bazaar of the uh, culture of many mosques uh, and some churches, of course, at the time. So they wanted us, every ruler, and we can find together many examples uh, globally about that, that every ruler wants to use architecture, wants to use uh, urban planning as tools to project political power, to, to project a new identity for the country. And many say uh, that uh, Tirana had a boulevard be uh, before becoming a city. So uh, if yeah. you see some uh, very interesting uh, historic images, uh, you could see a boulevard that would uh, resemble as a as a um, uh, airplane uh, strip uh, uh, that planes would land, uh, and very next to it you could you had some uh, uh, historic uh, small uh, houses, but maybe some few of them are still today. Incredible. <coughs> I just want to talk and just change change things slightly here. But how how has Albania suffered from pyramid schemes and and corruption? I want to say that uh, before we go to the pyramid schemes, from 1945 and all the developments that the Italians brought in Albania, which we had some very interesting developments uh, in this rationalist uh, um, uh, you know style. But of course, many buildings between the two war period, the interwar period, uh, developed by Albanian, but also um, architects from other countries, from uh, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Romania, and so on. Uh, we had still this, um, uh, let's say, um, echo cool. of those projects being developed in Albania, uh, even also in the early ages of the Hoxha regime, regime. But of course, as he was closing the, the the system, you know, uh, when you when you are trying to create a, a, a dictatorship, you slowly try to test different um, 
uh, allies and then uh, closing relations uh, with one and starting with, with another. As we had a former good relationship with the Soviet Union, we started uh, a relationship with China and then we broke up with China and then we continued with the Soviet Union for a few years. And then until the end uh, of 80s, we, we were totally isolated. So as you understand, most of the, the developments in architecture were either late uh, compared to uh, what was happening there in, in the world or also in neighboring countries like even Yugoslavia at the time or Greece. Uh, so we faced a very, very late uh, moment of modernism somehow, let's say, even though we had architects, very, very few, that were educated in Graz, in Austria, in, uh, in Weimar, in Germany, uh, in uh, Poland, and so on. So um, there were very few examples of uh, architecture um, inspired or um, trying to follow the, a, a contemporary at the, at the time uh, spirit, but uh, it was highly, very highly um, uh, censored because as these guys were very few, having the chance to study abroad, having the chance to get some good books, some magazines, then still uh, in these, these so-called technical uh, committees, um, the uh, government was able to either uh, point out some of them as these uh, revisionists that uh, were going out of the dogma of the party and they were classified as avant-garde and uh, dangerous uh, <laughs> or they would uh, be uh, somehow um, censored not to develop uh, projects led with the idea of uh, a new architecture of, or of a contemporary architecture but with this uh, idea uh, that the, the party at the time, and of course other many communist countries were projecting this idea of nationalist in form and socialist in content, uh, you would see that applied in Tirana, but also other cities uh, in, a, in a rather bizarre way with uh, uh, like motifs and uh, many symbols of the country, but either of also of the uh, communist, let's say, dogma. Um, as we have, for example, a, a very particular example, we have the National Historic Museum, uh, which was the building that uh, transformed uh, what is today's Canterbury Square. Uh, it was a former, it was a place where the former municipality of Tirana was located, built by the Italians. Uh, and then it was, uh, uh, with a big demonstration, was uh, exploded with uh, with the dynamite, and then uh, uh, this new uh, historic museum took place. So I was I was just wanted to make this refrain, because I think the pyramid scheme, the question that you posed, uh, yeah. is very relevant to my answer. I try to link them at least. Um, you know, the, the the problem is that when we are trying to project new images, new identities, as the Italians did, and also the 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 dictatorship did in Albania, you try also to force several behaviors in the city. Several behaviors not only in the uh, private space, because you know everything is state-owned, uh, practically the house that you live is not yours, it's of the party. So every dimension, every use, every um, commodity, every amenity you have, you use it. You are very somehow delicate while using it. You never express your true self. But on the other side, you find uh, uh, these vast public spaces, which are rather also very tidy. But you understand that those spaces are not tidy because they are meant to be tidy, or but they are, they, but they are like that because 
um, they were not designed for people. They were not designed as public spaces to be used. They were designed as squares for demonstrations. They were designed as public parks to express this, um, you know, this uh, savoir faire uh, uh, in, 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 in mass. Uh, and in the end, they are not real to themselves. Uh, and we can see that in many, many uh, other ways. If you, I'm a very big collector of old magazines and books from the, the time, not because I'm a nostalgic. I never lived at the time, but because I want to understand how people behave, how people understand, how people um, draw, how people express art, or how people even sit in a bench uh, publicly or at, the, at the time, but also today. So um, all the whole, this whole pyramid scheme after 1990s and with, with, its, with its apex in 1997, uh, it's a result of that uh, kind of way of expressing, because after 1990s, we, if we have this total closure, in 1991, we had this total openness, this uh, shock therapy. Half of the rural areas at the time now are ur urban. So if we had this 60-40 or 70-30 rural to urban, now we are like 60 to 40 urban rural. Uh, there is a jump, but I can we, we can argue that for every major capital or country now in the world. But nevertheless, uh, we had the development, for example, of Spain, uh, in terms of uh, urban development in the coast uh, or in the in the periphery, um, from the, the from uh, 1950s to 1990s of Spain, this 50-year period, under a slower pace of uh, development due to the technology of or or the economy and so on, we had that development in the last 20 years in Albania. So you have this you have this a short time but a big explosion so it's a progressive let's say destruction of the landscape so all this tension um, you know oppression understanding of public space as not ours but something to take on and of course you can understand that also in 1950s all uh, private property became public in albania became state owned so in the end you would find yourself in 1990s in democracy let's say trying to reclaim what was yours but in fact someone else was living there before and but you cannot kick him out the, the state is unable to do that for you maybe someone destroyed your house and built something else but also someone else came from somewhere uh, or he was in your same city and he decided to occupy some public land some former agricultural land of the cooperatives and built uh, something <coughs> formally so only in these last 30 years, you have uh, an, an incredible situation where uh, what what is called the pyramid scheme, let's say, is the uh, is is a, is a reflection of what I'm talking about. So everyone found their own way to um, create something that was his or hers, but in fact, uh, there are many. Uh, blurred lines on what is mine and what is common. So this whole idea of uh, living in a, in a communist with the common values and this uh, idea of sharing and using, you could understand, was total, um, let's say, smoke. Because if that would be true, then that thing would last for a few years. So there would be a sense of uh, what I, will, I would like to call not co-neighboring. You know, it's not really a word, co-neighboring, but it's not co-living because you don't live in the same house anymore, or at least most of the times. But you need to understand which are the limits, the responsibilities, the rights, obligations of each of each other. All these famous images of the Skanderbeg Square, the, the, the zero point of Albanians, for me are a bit surreal because if they are projected as this country 
where there were no cars and people were very nicely walking in the streets, that is totally not real because there were no cars because there were no cars. Not that everyone used uh, or everyone decided to took um, to took the bike to take the bike or to walk uh, in the in the street, but there were no cars apart from public transportation, which was private or some trucks for the government. And I want to again go there. The whole sense of co-existing, co-neighboring before 90s was because that was the same possibility to have something for everyone and to have nothing is the answer. That something was nothing. And what was in 1990s, and go to your question, sorry for this long introduction, but I think it's very interesting to, to, to see the, the, the dialectic of, the, of using the public space. And, and what happened after 1990s was an idea, okay, we are going to free market economy, we're going to see how capitalism can save us, uh, this utopian idea. But in the end, capitalism was considered as a way either to make money fast or to invest somewhere where before you could not, but now you can, but maybe you can take advantage of it somehow because, okay, even the state of how we are now is somehow surreal. You know, 10 years ago, five years ago, we were in another state. Uh, and what happened uh, uh, in the pyramid scheme is a scheme where every, everyone in the world almost uh, was was uh, was working. You have the you have the the stock markets, for example. You have the bitcoins today. You have other other ways of pyramid schemes. So in 1997, uh, everyone thought that would they would invest $100 a month uh, a month and they would get $2,000. A big part of the population got very disappointed on that. And unfortunately, all the uh, fast money that someone was able to earn from 1990, 1997, even also remittances from immigrants that were working hard in in, uh, in other countries, were put in these schemes. And uh, of course, at some at, at the moment, all these schemes, all these companies, pyramids, fell down. Uh, and then there was a there was a civil war in the country. There was a turbulent moment that somehow brought an echo. Of what was all, of what happened in 1990, but you know, it's like you you start a uh, you start a football match not from the start, but you are one goal or two goals behind. Wow, that just just incredible. I just wanted to also pick up on on something as well. You know, you saying that there was a suppression, um, as I understand it. You know, people were restricted by this internal migration, with as you said, most people living in the cities. Firstly. When did that stop so people were allowed free movement between rural life and the city? And also, did many people emigrate then? Um, um, as I said, in 1991, you could finally be allowed to yeah. uh, move from one city to another or one country to another. Uh, again, with a very strict, very difficult uh, visa, visa situation. But also many Albanians left illegally or in boats or in ships or by foot, even some. There are many Albanians that left by foot from Albania to Greece, from the mountains. So imagine the, the urge to leave that uh, situation. Of course, in the dictatorship, there were very, very few uh, lucky uh, individuals either connected with the political system or lucky because of coincidences that were able to study abroad. But there were very few of them. And we have examples, for example, uh, for example, we have uh, Enver Faya, which was a very respected professor and architect, designer of the National Gallery of Arts, 
also co-author of the National Historic Museum, but he studied in um, in Poland. Because of him being uh, a very energetic person, very outspoken, in the last in the first two or three years of his studies, he started to become a bit more critical of the of the system. Huh? Even he, if he was living in Poland, you know, there were eyes and ears everywhere. So um, he was forced to uh, stop his studies and uh, and uh, he finished uh, his architecture school in Tirana. You know, the, 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 the situation of control was very, very strong. In this moment, in 1991, it's very particular because, you know, almost one and a half million Albanians emigrated in a country of three million and a half, three million maybe at the time. Uh, and many went to Greece, many to Italy, many to Germany, uh, and so on. Those uh, emigrants were the main economic motor of the, of the country. So the remittances that will bring, they were bringing back to their families to support, to rebuild Albania, was a big uh, power, eh? was a big uh, uh, catalyst to, to support, not only, but also develop. And uh, I often uh, say in articles on, or in discussions we do that, you know, the private initiative, private initiative developed Albania from 1990s and on, and that's in a good or but also in a bad way because apart from this uh, example of uh, hardworking uh, immigrant Albanians that were helping their parents, they were bringing money in Albania, investing also, you know, the dream of uh, why I want to buy a house in my uh, country, in my homeland, because before you were not allowed to have a house. So uh, that happened, uh, and that happened um, in, a, in, a, in a good sense, but also, you know, private also development, all this occupation of informal land by, by anyone, and I don't want to name a particular group, you know, rural areas that were occupied, building informal buildings in this, I, I would just put brackets, in this domino house of Le Corbusier, we see often in rural areas, where the first floor is empty and but everyone lives in the second floor because maybe the building is flooded maybe someone is afraid to live in the first in the, in the ground floor oh, but also this sense of living above uh, being uh, an owner uh, and that uh, damaged absolutely the territory so you see former agricultural areas in the outskirts of tirana that today are former municipalities we have the the municipality of kamza which was the big, one of the biggest rural areas before uh, 90s. Today is the third largest municipality population. And uh, you could uh, see examples in 1990, uh, 1995 and 2000 that you have neighborhoods being built there. And then, and then there were no roads to connect buildings with cars or with ambulances or with firefighters. You had to do some operations, some grassroots operations there to create new infrastructure. and. As the private development pushed the government or other organizations to support and develop infrastructure, um, this is when I'm talking about and I say that private development brought Albania where it is today. And at some point, uh, it's also doing it again now because for different reasons. Again, again uh, sometimes we have the same example where private initiative wants to you know, create investments, either private in a one individual private or big companies, private companies that direct where major strategic projects of Albania, of Tirana, of other cities want to go. But this is a story that you have also in uh, in Britain and in other countries. We learned also from your paradigm, paradigm somehow. But of course, uh, let's say that 
Now, power and distribution of development and the regulation of that is much more centralized, uh, which sometimes is a good thing, and but also depends a lot uh, the the mode and modality when uh, on how that happens. Wow, that that's just <laughs> absolutely fascinating. I mean, just be, just before we go on to the next question, are you saying now that people can they can own the land that they build on? No, 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 I'm not saying no. that. That was a phenomenon in the early 90s that was happening. Today is a much more regulated system. You know, we, we, we uh, faced several moments after 2000 when these cases of people building illegally and then having that property legalized mm. was uh, allowed due to vote hunting, as you understand, famous laws that they were... Uh, giving compensation, uh, recompensation of public lands um, or or of private property uh, were uh, introduced. So um, we had that phenomenon and we are still struggling on that uh, because, for example, massive and and very important infrastructure projects uh, are happening or cannot happen because there were several developments done in that period that do not make most possible now to to create this new infrastructure. And I'm talking about situations in the center of the city of Tirana. Today is a much more regulated uh, structure. Right? You know, one, we are one of the countries now that we claim that uh, all our all our public services are online, and uh, we have a digitalized uh, GIS system and, and so on and so forth. No, I think that moment is gone. Is gone. But my uh, last remark before was on the development of major infrastructure or, 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 or different areas in the in the city as as everywhere in the world uh, because uh, of private initiative of private lobbying and uh, of private investors that would uh, like to do that that's i think very very well known to, to you also in, in your country thank you for clarifying that and i think in some ways um di- digital wise you're more ahead of uh, more ahead of the uk i, 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 <laughs> I don't think so <laughs> can tell me about ed rama the artist um and i understand the former minister of culture who he wanted to paint tirana's buildings with bright colors now firstly so why did he want to um do this and what was the impact on the people in the city and and maybe for tourism as well um you know ed rama has a long uh, history in the sense of being the Minister of Culture in the early beginning, before 2000, and then being the mayor of the city for 11 years, three mandates, and then now two terms and a half as a prime minister. A person, very smart person, I think, that in the early 2000s found a way that with very few money, he could transform the former grey facades of the city, inviting in the beginning international artists to do some murals. We have a case of uh, a building painted, or let's say uh, painted, yes, by uh, Olafur Leson in, in Tirana and the other artists. But then that became a trend, a very cheap solution to, you know, change the facade. And in the beginning, this, this is a very nice idea. You know, it, it can give a lot of hype and give a lot of attention. You can change a bit the atmosphere. And you can tell me yourself, as uh, people that we live in Tirana, in London, or other countries, other capitals, other cities. We don't really pay attention to the facade every day. You know, We live behind the facades. We live inside buildings, 
inside neighborhoods, we live using the infrastructure that the city uh, can offer to us. Uh, we live uh, with the culture that we uh, consume, but also we offer, we contribute to, to create every day. So for in the beginning, that was a very good idea. It became as, as one of the things that was happening, but there's always a need for more. One of the interesting things that Rama did at the time, because many of the, those informal buildings were also in public squares, were also uh, in, in the two sides of the, of the Lana Creek, of the, this small creek we have uh, in the city. And uh, he became very famous of that because he cleaned up, he cleaned up uh, the creek, he cleaned up also the, the those public spaces. But we're talking now uh, 20 years ago, uh, 2003, uh, and that was a very very important uh, point. And I think Rama is a is a very smart figure because he somehow anticipates uh, what's what should happen and what people expect. Um, sometimes in a smart way, sometimes he maybe should be faster. In the same idea of the facades, uh, what happened is uh, that in 2013 he initiated this when he became he became a prime minister. He, he initiated this project of uh, urban rebirth. So he tried to transform every major uh, public space in every city in Albania, starting from Skanderburg Square, Square, and, and uh, all other municipalities, and to give a better requalification of public space with the idea of giving you know a sense of pride to people, a sense of feeling good when you are in your hometown. But still, uh, that was a good idea, but maybe not so effective uh, in the sense of economic development. Because again, I will feel good going to the square every day. I have to bring uh, money home. You know, I have to support my family. I have to, uh, you know, get the infrastructure I need, uh, get the quality of life there. So I think that is an initiative that in the beginning is good, but then you have to give other tools, uh, other incentives to, to keep people in the country. And if in 2010, we had this uh, massive, let's say, moment that uh, due to the global economic crisis, many Albanians decided to come back in Albania from being uh, abroad. We saw in, after 2013, 2015, many people leaving again. At this moment, if in my generation, in the generation of my parents, that many people left Albania and they were of all of all classes, let's say working class, middle class, and so on. After 2013, 2015, we saw a big amount of people uh, of my generation, uh, people uh, educated with masters, with PhDs, or not professionals, with good salaries in Albania, with good salaries in Albania, and they left because they saw uh, or they. Didn't saw, didn't see a perspective for a country that uh, you would be able to uh, grow, uh, to grow your children. That could be, I mean, you could say that uh, also for me. I'm trying to prolong your your question because why should I should I not live abroad when maybe I'm able to work uh, in some other country? You know, there is also a part uh, of Albanians that I uh, I really hope is a big one. Uh, but it's a considerable one, I have to say, that um, believe that their country should be built, should be developed with Albanians in the center. And I'm saying that not to undermine support from other countries or institutions. That is absolutely valuable and appreciated. I mean, there is also always a, a need to provide models, to create systems of check and balance, uh, but also to create opposite uh, sides, discussion, debates, constructive criticism, which Albanians don't really accept it very well from Albanians. So 
it's easier to hear some critique from you or people that are foreign. And I understand that I think that is something we, we, have, we all have as a fault or as part of our Mediterranean temper. I also say for myself, but um, I, th- I say that um, I think that Albanians should build Albania and should be here to contribute on that. Uh, and I also, as a son of uh, uh, immigrants in Greece, I feel that um, obligation for my country uh, after taking Greek education, after being so lucky to, to grow up and understand so many things from not only history and culture, but also the urban aesthetics uh, from the landscape uh, relationship with, uh, with, uh, with the city and with the people. So. I think uh, that, that's a that's a way to, to do it to do it in Albania, uh, and it's a difficult moment because we are with this wave of uh, immigration is continuing with a with a high pace, and I think we we have to provide the tools, we have to provide the discussion, the debates, uh, a sense of of belonging um, to stop it or bring again back Albanians from abroad educate people in your country to a high standard but if they haven't got the opportunities within the country to to live a life and have a family then a lot of people will choose to leave the country and I I hear what you're saying and something we're going to touch on in a future question is about the international influence and the architects being involved in Albania so we'll we'll come on to that one. Um, the, The next question I wanted to really ask is you're involved in community projects um, during your academic and professional career, but you're also curating activities such as the Tirana Architecture Design Week and Tirana Architecture Triennial. Can you tell me your input um, or feedback about these initiatives, um, in particular regard to the public spaces? Uh, yes, um, just to correct, uh, I'm I'm now curating, I'm the co-founder of the Trian Architecture Triennale. Um, I was former, uh, in the past, creator also of the Trian Architecture uh, and Triennale Design Week, uh, but a structure that I was engaged before. Part of what I do every day, and uh, being lucky to work between profession and uh, uh, education, so my work in the university, my work uh, in the practice, uh, allows me to understand uh, both sides, you know, understand the, the situation of a market that is highly growing, I think is the highest growing uh, development sector in Albania, in construction, and is, let's say, one of the motors that maintain now the economy, uh, but also working with education. Albanians are a community, a, a people that really value education, uh, not only sometimes in, ten, in, in a formal sense, sometimes in a really content-wise sense, uh, but I think this is also for many other countries of, of Eastern Europe that were formerly closed. The, the intention to develop these projects, to these com- um, community participatory projects, are for many reasons. I have to be very frank. I think the first reason is that, and I understood it in many examples, is that it's important to under- to give to everyone, to every citizen, the sense of belonging, the sense of ownership. For what I mentioned before, all these squares that were designed for authorities or not for for the citizens, it's important to understand that even in a presumptuous capitalist free economy market, society also, sometimes it's not so easy to develop a project by an authority, the municipality, an architect, the figure of the architect, and be accepted. So you could design something beautiful, but people, if they don't understand it's theirs, then 
they will they will uh, i will not say maybe destroy but they will change it uh, and i will give you an example in 2014 uh, we had this uh, 2013 sorry it's 10, 10 years already during the Grand architecture week i think or no, chinese design week we, they, we the idea was to transform a public a small public square uh, into a, a small square uh, uh, leftover where people were parking their cars um, uh, inside the, the housing blocks was to transform it into a children's playground you know so we had a small budget we had a very nice team of students we had the, ourselves we were very energetic and we said okay let's see two weeks let's do a nice project that was easy i mean we are architects we, we can do that we did that then we said okay we have two more weeks we have another part of the budget let's build it let's implement it and you see in, in the end of those four weeks beautiful pictures children smiling uh we were very proud you know everything was so nice that we managed to transform a public square in the heart of the city and was one of the first initiatives that you know public squares inside the housing uh, residential blocks were transformed and then you try to understand, okay, what's happening with my project? You know, is someone using it? Is is, is still polished? Uh, are, is everything perfect? The lights are working? The, how is the greenery? The, is someone taking care of it? You know, because we're architects, we cannot do also the maintenance of the project. We cannot also use the project because then it will be a closed cycle. It doesn't work like that. So we are we are dependent from others, also for our ideas, also for everything we do and collaborate. Something very important that we tend to forget that. And then we, we forgot that at that time. And we saw that that square we have designed and built in not more than three months uh, was destroyed. And no one, no, 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 none of the structures, toys we installed there was there. And that was because no one felt it as a square. You know, children used it, but other children didn't like it. Or parents, fathers wanted to still park their car there and use the square for other uh, functions. We said, okay, I mean, we failed. Clearly, we failed. So, and we failed because, again, we 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 had forgotten the, the the basic principle of why we went there to give sense of ownership to no man's land, and also give the sense of ownership in the community. And in the next project, we uh, again took a, a similar case, a square inside the neighborhoods, and with a very uh, good friend of mine, Silviano. He's a He's an urban planner, but also works a lot of, on landscape architecture. He uh, he was, let's say, in charge to you know, uh, bring the community together. And we said, wait, we cannot do that if we don't have the community on board. Why better not let them design the public space they want? In in the end, this is a small square inside their neighborhood. They did that. So instead of taking four weeks to do everything, it took actually 10 months. 10 months, eight months of only discuss, discussing, drawing, designing, and asking neighbors to contribute one euro, one euro each. Grandfathers helping, the fathers giving tools, grandmothers bringing some pie to the students, to the workers, to everyone. And you, you see really a, a, common, a community participatory project, which today still, I, 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 I invite you all to, to see the, the public space. There's a very good friend of mine, Yorgos from Greece, that he, uh, Yanis, sorry, sorry, uh, very common name in Greece, uh, that he did a very beautiful movie three months ago because we asked from foreign artists and creatives uh, during a collaboration we had with the Copenhagen Architectural Film Festival to uh, create movies showing cases of inclusivity in the city. 
And he really did a movie and he documented that. I can send you the link later, but I shouldn't forget. So in this movie, you could really see that it was a process that, you know, there was blood and sweat in the beginning, but now it's only cherry blossoms and, and, and birds around. So you see the fruits of hard work because it's, in the end it's difficult to go in the site. So it's difficult to go and, you know, put some mud on your boots and then go back in the office and design. But I think that is the start of every pro process. It's not that, oh, I have this project, okay, where is it in Google Maps? Yeah, where I can find this free model? Okay, how can I do that? Okay, what is this reference? And in the end, you deliver a project when you have no sense of the scale, you have no sense of who is going to use that. You have no scale, sense of the clients, you have no sense of the, uh, the capacity of the clients to maintain the project. So imagine if we would think of designing a Bosco Verticale, a vertical forest at the time in Tirana, and, you know, they, they would lynch us, you know, they would... Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, do crazy things to us, but I think this is a call for all of us. And also I say that to, my, to myself, if we don't engage people in the process of designing and doing architecture, then we cannot achieve anything. We know we, we are not, we, um, some of us maybe have the, you know, the capacity to be in charge of projects and project new ideologies, new identities in our cities. But uh, should we be? I mean, I think we should create bottom-up, you know, uh, initiatives. We should create uh, uh, perspectives. And this is why Tirana Architecture Triennale is dealing with that. Uh, is dealing with working with the communities, is dealing with breaking some barriers, also mental, also psychological, also... When I was an architecture student, you know, I was like, oh my God, you know, this famous architect, wow, I want to be like him, or no, oh wow, what? why he's so famous, why he's so important, you know? the sense of are the architect gods or these architects. And in fact, we are trying to bring many well-known architects. We, we had Peter Cook um, one month ago, one month and a half ago. And you know, you, you can understand that it's an architect that founded Archigram, you know, and he created uh, this friendly alien uh, building in Graz and so on. But in the, in the end, he's a, he's a common guy. He's a very uh, well-educated, he's a very smart uh, person, uh, 87 and he's, I think more energetic than many of us, also including myself. So uh, you, we can take example and understand, and understand that some of those guys are, are humans, and you know, and we can also give to our students this open perspective that you know, not because you were born in Tirana or Albania, you can only stay in Tirana and Albania, but you can become a leading figure abroad, but also in your country. And this issue of the barrier, it's not a a self-complex that we are trying to, we are also cultivating now with this discussion, no, but it's a reality, you know, in order to forget that dictatorship was in Albania 30 years ago for half a century, I think maybe we need to pass, I don't know, half more century and forget about it, you know, to take it out of our blood, because it's a process that, you know, we are destroying buildings and we are not letting them uh, evolve as part of the urban palimpsest, you know, but this social palimpsest, this political, this barrier-oriented palimpsest is still rooted in our in our communities. So we are trying to step by step, step by step, do that. Huh? Also organize common workshops with uh, students from different uh, universities in Tirana or different universities abroad. Uh, create performances that they maybe don't seem very complex uh, in the beginning, but they just make you think. I think I think what you're talking there, you're talking communities um, designing community projects, you know, and participating 
with the design team. And, you know, I just wonder, is there anything else that we're talking public spaces here? You know, can governments, um, well, governments often fail when they're designing these public spaces. Is there anything more you wanted to add apart from involving the community? I think that in the end, uh, in every process, I think it's very easy to, you know, pick a project and develop it. And I'm saying very easy in until the moment you develop a project. But I think in the end, it's all about sustainability and not sustainability as this label where we're listening to the last 30 years, but as sustainability, as social sustainability. So in the end, if I want to use a public space in the city, I, I, we have to understand as architects, as policymakers, anything, we have to understand that we should make that space accessible for everyone. Not only myself, you, my friends, your friends, etc., but everyone. And that will take time, you know, that will take maybe a double, triple, five times more the time that it can be developed with a, you know, with a, with a flip of a, of a hand, of a finger. But this is, this is a, a true democratic, you know, uh, process that uh, in the end, you know, doesn't bring us, brings a strong hand that then forces us, you know, uh, you know, forces us to, to do something, you know. But in the end, we are convinced that this is it. In order also to agree that we disagree, that we should first discuss what's, what we have in our minds. I think that's a very important uh, moment uh, to reflect because in the end, this is where democracy is for. I, want, I really wanted to come on. You, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned Peter Cook, um, who came over. Really interested to hear about the, the, you know, the, that experience. You said he, he was a very normal, normal kind of guy. And, and that, that was, um, must have been really fascinating. I've never met, met Peter myself. He's an international architect. People know him from all over the world. And I just wanted to, to say that relating it back to the public spaces, you know, we had a really big disaster in Manchester um, with uh, Piccadilly Gardens. And it was designed by a very famous Japanese architect. Again, I can send you, send you this information after the podcast. It turned out to be a complete disaster in my eyes. And now it's occupied by, it looks very sort of community in style. There's porter cabins there, there's bars. The concrete structures that were designed, uh, it, looks like a, it looks like a Berlin wall. Um, it's, so so it, it's, it was one in competition. And I, I just wondered what your thoughts are on international architects designing Albanian buildings? In, I think that in the beginning of 2000, we had, a, we had a, a first massive blast, I would say, of foreign architects being invited to design projects in Albania. And I understand the idea. It's a, it's a good marketing trick. You know, it creates a lot of attention. It creates a lot of... So it's a viral move. Maybe it was justified. Uh, I mean, in a sense... I would, I would quote a, a friend of mine, a very good Albanian architect. But he said, uh, when I was a student, he said in 1985, I the first book I, I got uh, about uh, architecture was uh, uh, Towards the New Architecture by Ilya Corbusier. You know, I was living in dictatorship, so I didn't really have really the chance to experience postmodernism when postmodernism was there. And he said, somehow, Getting this book as the first book I read 
saved me from postmodernism somehow. I'm not saying postmodernism, postmodernism is bad or not, huh? but I'm saying that due to the limits of the, of the time, uh, in the 1990s, also this shock therapy also was for Albanian architects. Huh? You could see curves, you could see splines, you could see uh, cubes or anything, uh, anything crazy at the time. And that was until 2000, uh, 2010 even. But uh, these foreign architects, I think, opened the discussion. Uh, at the moment, and maybe even today, they were used because of the fact that they were foreign to be involved in projects. And they, I think they're very, very, they're very much aware of it. You know, the, the star architect phenomenon also hit Albania. Uh, the Guggenheim effect, let's say, the wannabe Guggenheim effect also hit Albania. Uh, because I think Guggenheim in Bilbao, I think, is a... It's a project in a in a quite good scale if you if you see it in person. The issue is that I will just give a reference. I, I gave my students two weeks ago. But, you know, the, the, one of the first open spaces, office open spaces designed, you know, is the Johnson Wax Factory back by Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh, my favorite. And if, you, <laughs> and if you compare, uh, if you if you say that that is the open space, uh, you know, prototype, and if you compare that open space prototype with what we see today as open space, you know, these shitty cubicles that, you know, we have in every office or these offices with glass and that you, can, you cannot find concentration or every, everyone is looking at everyone and, and so on and so forth. You can take that first design of right, and, you know, if you, it's like if you put it in a photocopy. So if you take a, a beautiful painting and you put it in a photocopy, and of course, then the photocopy you have of uh, that painting will not be at all like the original painting. So imagine if you put that project again in a photocopy and then you photocopy it again and then again and then again and then again. And then 100 years after, you have a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy in a ten, in, I don't know, in, in a 1000 times of the original. So you lose the sense. And what is happening in some cases in Albania and other countries that you try to really photocopy Bilbao or photocopy other famous interventions of architects in in one country or the or the other just to have the brand or just to have a building by X or Y or Z architects in Albania or in Italy or everywhere, and then you get a photocopy. So I think the involvement of foreign architects in Albania. Uh, in the beginning was some kind of that they, they are some there are some good projects um, but I think until today most of the projects that were developed and that, that are finished now uh, that are implemented took almost 10 years so we have Scanner uh, Square took almost 10 years so from the day of the competition until the development for many reasons political uh, reasons economical reasons we have many towers around the city that also took took almost 10 years uh, some of them now are taking less, so it's, a, it's a different uh, pace. But I'm saying that apart from the moment that the involvement of foreign architects can give a, a, different, a different point of view, can give a, a very positive input, you know, can uh, give a different scale into the development of the project. Because I think also in, in England is the same, that if you have a Japanese architect designing a project, you know, there will be no compromises on the budget. Yeah. Uh, so I think in this sense, this could help a lot of the discussion. But on the other side, you know, I think having the sense of place, you know, having this passion, this having the, the interest and the and the responsibility uh, on designing something for your country, 
is, is, is another big value. If we find the golden, uh, the silver, the golden uh, line, let's say, which these two can be connected, you know, this collaboration between uh, a very experienced architect and a, and a very good Albanian architect that do something together, I think we, maybe we would have a, an even better solution. But I think as an Albanian, I think that it's our obligation again, uh, and I say this not only as an architect, but also uh, as, a, as a citizen, that we should not only be accountable for what we do in our jobs, in our, in our everyday life, but we should also ask about accountability of the, for the authorities, for the policy makers, for the decision makers. So I think, again, if we have this crazy utopia that, you know, at one moment in our lives, we will find the perfect solution and then everything will stop, will be perfect. It's impossible. It's an everyday struggle. It's like if you go to the gym for 10 years and then you stop and then you start eating junk food. You don't expect to be to be still, uh, you know, uh, fit or muscular or whatever. You know, it is an everyday thing. So uh, if we want to live in good cities, if we want to live in cities, public spaces, architecture that will make us feel good, we have to design them well. We have to find the right the right uh, middle ground, do that, should uh, convince the investor, educate the investor sometimes, discuss with the authorities, but then we have to maintain the building. We have to paint the walls, uh, you know, uh, year after year, or, you know, uh, water the plants. I think it's, again, an issue of co-neighboring. We cannot just, we, I, I, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's like, uh, ima imagine, and what is it? I mean, think about this. If we are pretending to live in these liberal economies, in, in these super capitalist, let's say, societies, we are not, because cap ultimate capitalism is not a reality. You know, ultimate capitalism is a utopia that if we only attempt, attempt to go there, we would improve. But even not going there is a good thing, because imagine of a, of a city which is absolutely private and everything is private and you have no sense of common. So this is another dangerous thing, you know. So I think is another thing to uh, seek the utopia, and then is another thing to expect even to be in the utopia, and from there on, uh, there on everything will be perfect. So uh, I think it's about. I think in the end now, thinking is it about the the destination? Is about the journey? And I think the destination of the city never comes and will never come, hopefully. But it's about the journey, because if we talk about cities as destinations, let's talk about Chandigarh. We're on a constant journey, you know, and we, we always will be. Yet there's uh, countries out there who are building cities from scratch. with, <laughs> so, But we won't go there. So uh, my last couple of questions really to you is, um, you know, you're involved in educa education, educating architects. And so do Albanian architects mainly stay in Albania? Or is there still a brain drain um, out of the country? And, and you know, what do you think are the, the reasons for this? There is still a brain drain, you know. Um, I think this is for all professions. I mean, I think globally, the profession of the architect is one of the uh, one of the professions that lost its touch, lost its uh, its glory, you know. But let's talk about uh, the profession of uh, the doctor or the medicine, uh, you know, doctors or computer software engineers uh, and other professions. I think the issue is now not only in terms of architecture or architects, it's about living in societies, living in, in structures, in social structures that would guarantee you 
good quality health, a rule of law, uh, will guarantee you a um, good education system, uh, will guarantee you somehow prosperity in a social level. Uh, again, I'm not saying that somewhere, again, is a utopian uh, context and community and it's perfect. But in terms of perception, in terms of real facts, in terms of many aspects, uh, many people are, of course, still living in Albania. And a particular phenomenon, at least from what uh, what is being reported, uh, is that from there are every year 35,000 Albanians almost leaving the country the last five to seven years, and there are 25,000 new inhabitants coming in the municipality of Tirana, which in a sense is it sounds good for Tirana, but of course in the other side. It, sounds a bit dangerous because, okay, what's happening in, with the suburbs? If all this population of 2.8 million, maybe less, are coming in the center of the country, uh, maybe in Duras, the main port city in Tirana, which are 30 kilometers far away, okay, the future is the connection of these two cities. So Duras and Tirana, we go to Durana, this new city, this new mega city. But what happens then with all the other 300 kilometers length of our country, what happens in the rural areas? What happens in the in the landscape? What's going 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 on with the natural resources of the country? What's going on with you know areas, uh, villages of historical cultural value that are going to be extinct from the map, irrelevant uh, to go there? Uh, are are we a country in the Mediterranean and maybe that's a lucrative place for people? from uh, the Americas or from Asia to, to, to or from Europe to come and buy a second house? Or are we a, a, a super hotel uh, for, for, uh, for the world, uh, you know, to, to, to be visited sporadically or not? Uh, or are we a hype of the moment, you know, one of the hype cities of the, of the decades or countries of the decades? Uh, again, <laughs> it's the same situation. What, what are we going to do about the sustainability? How, how are we going to, and the, the social sustainability, we are talking about economic, okay, yes, but what about the social? It's like you're telling me, uh, do you want $1 million now, today, or you or you want to earn $5,000 every month for the rest of your life? <laughs> it's, it's the same logic. So I think creating circular economies is, I think for Albania, is not, um, I, I should not be a cliche, should not be a taboo, should not be something surreal. So we should, I think, push all private public sector for the growth of employment, growth of the living standard, uh, growth of wages, and so on, in order to keep Albanians here, uh, keep the spirit of the place intact. Of course, invite everyone uh, to work with us and work with Albania, but also for Albania, and then create the country we were always uh, deprived from, let's say. I will just make it now that we are this um, uh, unfortunate uh, state, but no, I'm not. In fact, in order to win freedom, in order to win all the rights you have as an individual, you have to fight for them. So I think uh, in this constant journey, we also have to be fighters. Uh, we also have to ask more, we have to give more, but we have to ask more. I mean, this is a message also for not for, you, for the podcast itself, but I don't want to be dramatic. 
and we could we could say the profession of the architect is broken maybe it is but maybe let's say um, we are facing the danger of getting broken so why let's not ring the bell uh, uh, you know turn on all our alarms and say okay we are in this critical moment and what can we do to make it better and a very very nice professor i had in my life uh, antonio saggio he always said something very particular uh, he said in moment of crisis there is also a moment for innovation but that innovation cannot only be technological or a paradigm shift can also be also of, of individual innovation so if we want to innovate our country let's innovate ourselves maybe let's change the way we we draw this let's change the way we we have coffee in the morning it starts with that uh, well, absolutely, absolutely, and I just loved what, also what you said about the spirit of a place, which I think is um, is very critical. When you go to a country, you know, you want to experience, you know, you go to Italy and you go to a city like Rome, you don't want it to change too much in a way. It wants to keep the spirit of what it um what you what i guess what you're what you're expecting it to be and maybe that changes if you're a tourist to to if you're living there you know living there and working there but i just love what you said about the spirit of a place and i think that's absolutely critical and hopefully more albanians will consider staying um if if your country has that sustainable economy so, so it's just keeping on this theme, you know, what are your what are your hopes for architects in Albania? Um, you know, to to to, how do you see creating this sustainable profession? Maybe you maybe you slightly touched on that, but you know, what what what's the answer that you have? I mean, I think we're 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 a tough uh, country. We're we're um, hardworking people. I think we, I mean, we are Mediterranean throughout. So I think we ne- we don't really easily give, give up, and I think the, I think the future is good. I think the future is good because I will tell you something. When I came back uh, from uh, Greece, from Athens in uh, in Albania uh, in 2005 or six, I'm not sure now. I said, okay, you know, with this energy, it was a beautiful energy at the time. You know, this country can be perfect in five years. I was young. I was naive. I was. I was not even living in Albania. I was coming only the summers. Um, uh, so I, in 2010, I said, no, 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 it's not uh, five years. It's like, I think it's going to be 10. 2013, I said, no, it's not 10, it's 20, 25. And I, I said today, it might be five, it might be 50, it might be 100, it might be 200 years. I mean, I think the longer the journey, the better, in a sense. But I think it's not a, it's not a moment we have to be pessimistic or we have to, we, we, we should give up. Because I think uh, giving up was the result of uh, a country, of a beautiful country that in 1945, because of demagogy, because of manipulation, because of many pre- of pressure, of oppression, of other things, but giving up was something that brought Albania in 1990s what was at the time, a country under dictatorship. And I think we have the moment that we didn't give up when we should not give up. So I think I think the future is good. It is good. And uh, I used to have a colleague uh, before that he was saying that it's going to get worse. It's going to get always. It's going to get worse. 
uh, and I always usually tell him that you know, as a pessimist, if 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 something will, even if something small will be better, for you will be a good thing. So, but yet, in order to be that that pessimistic, I don't think you never give up because you have always the you know this the idea to, to say every day that. But I think instead of saying, we should also do things, and I think. Um, we should again, again. I will repeat myself. We should not just be behind those uh, keyboards and screens. We have to just put our hands down in the mud and you know make it beautiful pottery, make it art, make it something that is valuable. Because our time is is not limitless. Huh? We have a limited amount of time, and us us today together, we are trying to use. These hours to these hours, these minutes to say that you know there are there are others. There are more others that think the same. There are more others that are not giving up. They're doing every day the struggle. But this is a common struggle. You know, uh, sometimes you know if we are all together in a table and inside us we suffer or inside us we if we don't say anything, then everyone will be like numb. You know. Everyone will say, oh, okay, but he was great. He's great. How can they be? So I am great also. And then you get in this sense, in this uh, state of, you know, uh, being comfortably numb. You know, okay, this is it. You know, Pink Floyd were right. Huh? Then you go, and if you express your uh, insecurities, express your problems, express your ideas, your opinions, express, you know, your crazy thoughts of doing something better. Then in the end, you could you cannot be only yourself, but could be all the others that are in the same table, and you could understand that you know there is much, there there are more than me. Eh? We are more than one, two, three. There are more than us in this table, but also the other table. So uh, unexpected uh, circumstances of of being true to yourself, I think, can bring only good. And I think this is the this is the moment. I mean, acknowledging everything we are talking today also. Is something very important because maybe we would be insecure or feeling not free to say them. But whatever, I mean, we're gonna live in the cities we live. Why should we move? My parents did it once. They left the country. Why should I do it? And, and just finally, really, this is this, we're talking like practicalities here of uh, of things. So you know the barriers to uh, for success for architects in Albania. You know, I've talked a lot on the podcast about salaries and, and, and financial reward for architects. That's part of the thrust of this podcast. So firstly, is the profession of architecture a popular profession for young people to enter? And then secondly, is it well paid? Uh, I think it would be surprisingly uh, unique to be well paid. I think because this is a global uh, uh, change and I'm not saying that to justify Albania. No, I'm saying that to highlight uh, a, a global uh, problem in our profession. The the trend of uh, young people uh, studying architecture is somehow uh, varies somehow. I mean, uh, when the country is in economic development, of course there are many interested to do to be architects. When the country is in a recession, 2010, there is there was there was a big curve. But now it has really changed again. There are many young people that want to go into architecture. That's the first. Um, what I would say next is that is a particular thing that we see that when people, after graduating high school, there is a small amount of 
people, apart uh, from, the, from the big number that are enrolling in architectural schools, that are really aware of what is architecture, what an architect does, or even uh, people, 18-year-olds, uh, 17-year-olds, that they could name you 10 architects, 10 well-known architects. I'm not saying star architects, even maybe yes, but figures that, you know, have a certain value. So if in 2005, uh, the architect they could name would be Gustav Eiffel, <laughs> I'm not joking, uh, today would be Zahadid, but this is because of the virality of the figure of Zaha. And of course, the, the, the changes she brought also as a, as a figure. Saying that, if in these 20 years, from 2005 till 2023, 20 years almost, the salary of the, the average salary of the architect has, has almost not changed at all. And I also would say the same for the fees of the architects. So in, a, in a, being part of a construction of a development, and in many cases hasn't changed at all, in the last 20 years, nothing has changed. And I'm not complaining now of earning little, or I'm not complaining of being poor or whatever, but I'm saying that exponentially, progressively, logically, logically, cost of life has raised dramatically. The amount of taxes we pay has raised dramatically. The amount of services we take today maybe has raised at a certain point from the taxes we pay, but we have a growth prices of everything we buy, from water to beer and everything. From the square, the price per square meter we use to buy houses and apartments, Interana has quadrupled in the uh, at least in the last ten years. So if you will buy something per one thousand euro per square meter. Uh, in the center of the city, now it's 4,000 euros per square meter. But the fees of architects have not raised. The cost of steel, the cost of concrete, the cost of glass, aluminium, name it, has raised a lot, but not for the fees of the architects. And there are many other additional services, studies, experts you need to hire today for to, do, to, do, to get a building, building permit. You have to have an energy auditor, you have to have a particular engineer, an landscaper and so on, but still the costs of architecture are the same. And this shows two issues, I think. Either the level of, and I think this is for most of the European countries, I think also globally, uh, maybe not in the same rate, huh? but very similar. But either we are totally irrelevant and we are just somehow kind, some kind of managers that gather together all the other professions and put put work in line, or we are not really so capable. And I think, again, this is an issue of people not understanding our added value. Maybe because we are not expressing an added value in many cases, you know? Again, we are this figure behind the computer, drawing lines, printing, doing 3D models, doing, doing rendering, you know? So I think we have to have an added value. We are not going to these modernistic dogmas that the architect was the god and he was giving projections of what is this and what is that. No, but I'm saying that socially our, in, our impact is very small. And as our profession, at least in the many years of its existence, we were always a profession very close to power, to politics, to rich clients, to not rich clients. But we were always a profession that had a particular sensitivity. And losing that sensitivity, losing that our impact as individuals, as, as social figures, we of course lost the ability to have 
better salary, who, to be to be valued more. Because it's not about the money that you get, but it's about the value that you contribute to the society, about the perception that and the, the feeling that people have for you. So I think it's also about, about that. And uh, I'm not trying to bring some drama or create any fear about the future of our profession, putting inside uh, artificial intelligence or, or everything else. No, I'm saying that our value is not digital, it's not through a computer. Our value is a physical value. If we perceive ourselves as render visualizers, no, we're not only that. We can be, but not only that. In the end, you are living not in a virtual home, and I don't want to hear something about the metaverse or whatever, because this is an, another discussion. I think we skipped the meta. I mean, meta should be should have come should have come sorry ten years ago. I mean, we are now beyond that. I mean, we should we should decide in the end which which is our role. We are technicians. We are policymakers. We are I don't know. We are designing cupboards and uh, and the drawers for the for the carpenter to build. He doesn't need that. He's better than us at that point. So we have to decide what we are. Uh, I, I just want to finish with this quote that, you know, René de Graaf maybe was right, maybe the 20th century was a glitch, like modernism was a glitch. The moment that people that were working to earn money were earning more than people had money to work for them was modernism. So the expert, the technician, the intellectual was earning more than someone that was rich or he was able to earn as much as someone that was already rich. But now we are not again in the in the similar uh, state like a century ago. That <clears throat> we have companies that have bigger GDP than a combined GDP of many countries. We have to think about those things. It's not about uh, beautiful images and uh, and I don't know balloons flying uh, in renders. It's, it's more about that, more than that. Yeah, you, you're you're absolutely right, and it is about value and our value. Um, maybe maybe we could argue we don't express our value enough as a collective of, of architects um, in in every country, but you you're spot on about the you spot on about salaries because I uncovered just yesterday that salary in 2015 um, this is an average medium salary in the UK is that was actually more than it is in 2023. And yet inflation um, is is incredibly high and it's gone high every year. Um, you know, it's creeped up and then just recently, last couple of years, it's gone really high. So the, the salaries are, are very slightly moving, slightly up and, and going down in some senses. So we're, we're, as architects, we're getting poorer and poorer. And, and and so there's something fundamentally wrong with the profession or it indicates that there's something fundamentally wrong with the profession because I don't know many architects who uh, are very wealthy, let's just say. Our final question was, have you, I think I know the answer to this though, have you ever considered quitting? And if not, why not? Uh, no, <laughs> no, of course not. Uh, because this profession still, or you know, because I, 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 again, as I'm lucky enough to, to do several things in my life, you know, our profession also gives you that possibility, you know. Uh, and and a, very, a friend of mine, an economist, she told me a few days ago that, but if you look, your profession has this possibility that you are able maybe to do community projects, design buildings, be in academia, develop projects, 
for development of different ways of living or or or, or, or projects that combine many disciplines, because the profession also gives you this holistic uh, approach uh, uh, that you have to be able to understand many mediums of expression. You have to understand many professions to collaborate with. And that's a, a very rare thing. Maybe also we should position ourselves not only just as architects, as drafters. I have to say sorry. Maybe it would be that. But uh, as long as this profession would give me the energy to jump out of the bed in the morning uh, and stay late at night to finish something or to do something as I, as I think, as I feel it should be, not just drop it, save it, boom, send, that's it. I would still do that prof- this profession with, with a big pleasure. And in the end, we, in life, we look for a motive. We look for a motive not to make money or not only to make money, because it's also about that. I don't want to neglect welfare or being well or living well. Uh, in the end, we, are, we work so we can live. We don't live to work. That's, that should be very clear. Um, but I think if something gives us pleasure, excites us, uh, every day, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's it's something to live for. One message also for your audience because it's very for me it's very important. If also students, also young professionals, never work for free, never. Even if you go to an internship, to whoever you go to an internship to, never work for free. That's absurd. First of all, and second, never work for less money than you deserve. May you will say that I need a job, yes, but learn also how to. Um, get what you deserve because that's another art of doing so. We, and we are, it's impossible to understand the costs of an architecture student or of a young professional with everything that he needs. Starting from the computer we are speaking now and what kind of equipment an architect needs from the costs of printing, of modeling, of everything you need to read and be capable of, you know, mastering. It's absurd. Uh, and I would really, I, this is something I, I forbid to my students in a good sense that I, I might sound authoritarian, but they should never work for free. It's absurd because time is very valuable. Absolutely. We're, we're highly educated and I don't know how anyone would ever work for free, but it happens. And I, I think it's a fantastic conclusion to the Broke Architect. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect ending to this episode. I just want to thank you so much for your time. You've been a great guest on the show. And um, yeah, I hope you never become a Brock architect. Uh, I, I really thank you for the invitation. And it was a, it was a beautiful discussion uh, during those weeks we were speaking. Uh, uh, I, I hope, uh, and this is something we will all uh, fight every day, but not only us to be broke architects, that's not the case, I think, but uh, architecture not to become a broke profession. Thank you, Adisa. Have a good night. Thank you. The Broke Architect. The Broke Architect. The Broke Architect. The Broke Architect.